Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Machine Learning. I'm your host, Michael Burke. Ben Wilson is still out. He'll be back at some point in the future. Today, we are joined by Vidi Chug. She is an award-winning AI ethicist that focuses on the intersection between data science and product. And currently, she's a staff data scientist at an unnamed company. So, Vidi, do you mind elaborating a bit and telling the people why you're famous? Yes. So thanks, Michael, for inviting me. I will give a little background on uh, where I'm coming from, what my career trajectory was, and why we are specifically talking about the topic that we've chosen for today. So I am a data evangelist, an AI strategist, and an innovation leader. I generally try to give a short version, which is these three dimensions. And uh, now I'll give a longer version of it, which says that these roles are actually tightly coupled uh, with each other. So data is the new oil. Everyone is going crazy about how to use data. That's the asset that you need to monetize. And data is what is required to transform your business. That's where the data evangelism part of my introduction comes from. And when you have to have work on data, there is a particular point after which when you scale, you need some cutting edge algorithms. That's where AI solutions come into the picture and hence AI strategist. Uh, My part involves where exactly can I find AI use cases to enable the business generate better insights and then take action on them. Now you might be wondering where the innovation part comes in and that's something not many give a focus on and that's where my, you know, my prime responsibility comes into. Innovation is when you are trying to figure out a solution and you don't have a tailor-made solution, right? So that's where uh, my job comes into the picture of finding what is the next best thing that we can do to fill that missing component. So that's a long version of explaining the data evangelism, AI strategist, and you know, the innovation hat that I wear at my work. So that's about it. Amazing. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, Right. So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, That's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Is innovation important? It is indeed. So I can say that your business can experience non-linear trajectory the scale that it is working on, that non-linearity can come when you have innovation. That's kind of distinguishing you with your competitors. Otherwise, they'll have an edge. If they are doing innovation at a much better scale than you are doing, then they'll take over from you. Got it. And it seems like there's lots of really good solutions already out there. But how often in your experience is innovation required versus using a tailor-made solution? Ah, that's a great question, Michael. So innovation comes into the picture. So general framework, when somebody asks me how to use innovation, my first answer is go and try whatever is available off the shelf, commoditized solutions. First is because 
we are always running out of time the experiments that we do are very iterative i really don't want somebody to you know start working on the algorithm from scratch but whenever something which is readily available is not something that you can consume or your data or your business problem is not meant for that solution that's where mm-hmm. you need to identify what are the gaps that the current algorithms provide right those are not able to cater but i need as part of the solution that i am delivering then what is the next best thing and you can only do that first if and you are being in an ai background right you need to constantly up keep yourself updated about what's next in the market what's cutting edge actually so that's where it derives its name from so if you're reading a lot of research papers and you know for example somebody asked me right if you just consider why dropout happens right what is the use of dropout in neural networks right so there might be certain need of it somebody would have devised this whole mechanism how and where it should fit in so just think where you have a current solution trace it back it's more like a reverse engineering way of finding those solutions filling that missing component is important don't go all out thinking that i have an idea and i need to just implement it without not properly devising it i would say yeah. so devising an experiment is really important. Got it. So it sounds like start off with an SLA or an overall goal. And then if your current solution does not meet the the SLA, then you'll have to iterate and find find new areas. Mm -hmm. I have a question on that, though, which is how do you know when to kill a project? So if if, let's say the tailor-made solution is not working and let's say there's a potential million dollars on the table for a better algorithm, how do you trade off your team's time versus the potential uplift of revenue from that algorithm? Excellent question. So this can happen. One, like I uh, typically mention, is that you need to have the executive buy-in into whatever solution you are devising. They need to have a close watch on what you're proposing. You just can't keep buying the time and saying that I have something in my mind. I want to implement it. I think it can get us those million dollars. So just saying doesn't work, right? That's where the whole data component comes. Does your data support that? Like, Have you already established the fact saying that the current solution is not cutting the mark? And what is the next technology that you're proposing? So like you mentioned about trade-off, it comes at a point when you decide that so you need to give a framework, a certain timeline, initial timeline, and that's where a proof of concept kind of thing comes into the picture. How much time can you borrow to initially give a approximate solution? It need not be the last leg of the solution. You need to have an approximate solution in the pipeline and say that given the constraint of the time, maybe data availability, the volume of it or the attributes that you actually need for or the scale, maybe the infrastructure is not yet there. Given all those assumptions and constraints, this is the best I've achieved, which is definitely already, it has to have, it has to be a better than what your current solutions are providing. Unless you see that nudge, unless you see that delta difference from your POC, proof of concept, or the the kind of MVP that you're trying to build, you, you, you can't just say that I think I have a hunch and I want to go about it. So that's the time. If you think that your data is not supporting it, you don't, you are not able to establish the difference. That's the time I think you should call it off. And, and another it. thing that comes here is that never give a moonshot to any of the stakeholders, either internal or external. So moonshot is something you promise something very big, big thinking that I have data, I have scale, and I can just plug both of them together with those fancy algorithms and something will definitely come out. So that's something that's never going to happen because even if you're able to give some one or the other number uh, saying that, okay, my model is doing maybe 90% better than, you know, what your current baseline is, right? It's not going to be sustainable because once you put something out in production, the whole different 
journey starts from there. So you are responsible not for a current solution, just trying to prove it works. You need to make sure that it's sustainable, something which can run on an autonomous mode, if I can say, so that you can continue reaping the benefits of it. Otherwise, just doing something for one single purpose and not seeing a repeatable pattern around it, it's going to cost a lot of money to the organization. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that you bring up. So it sounds like the most common approach, and at least the most common approach I've seen, is people try to achieve something or try to have something meet a goal. And a very effective method that I try to use as much as possible is I try to kill a project. So if there are certain requirements that must be met, it's often very easy, or at least easier, to test those requirements and say, hey, we can't do this. Um, it's the same as using like counterfactual logic and A-B testing, where it's easy to disprove a null or reject the null versus accepting the truth. Like, are all swans white? Well, I don't know. But if I find one black swan, then I know that all swans are not white. So that that has been really effective in my experience as well. Yeah. And Michael, on top of what you were mentioning, right? So killing the project is something which is seen in the negative light. If you are not able to conclude on a project positively, sometimes the associate or the analyst who is working on it is also conscious thinking, maybe it will impact my, you know, the stature in the organization that I couldn't do it and there could be a better person. That's where the whole imposter syndrome comes into. And that becomes a difficult uh, decision to take. But I would say that one thing that organizations can cultivate in part as part of their culture is to not promote failures, to, to kind of not just promote successes. Success is not binary. You can't say because I've seen the output, it is success. When somebody is taking the initiative to calling the shots at the right time is also an implicit way of declaring a success. And documenting is something which is crucial. Something didn't work, that's perfectly fine. Have you documented it or do you have a learning from it? And I used to run a, a session which is glorifying the learning, glorifying the failure. So you are not just failing a project or calling it off. You're documenting and kind of spreading the word in the organization. Hey, I worked on a project. It didn't work. And I have a reasons to prove that. Right. So these are the reasons and the constraints under which we had to. Uh, wrap up the project and call it quits. Maybe next time if somebody else hits a snag, they can reach out to you and that's the learning that should get promoted and not just the failure and success of it. Yeah, I'm really happy that you said learning. Often when you're working in uncharted territory, you're not just building and implementing, you're mapping out and scoping. You want to see, oh, is this solution possible? And if it's not possible, that's really valuable because then you don't go over there again and you can try other things that might be possible. So it's it's all about learning and mapping and, and figuring out the, the layout of the land instead of just actually implementing. Absolutely. And you don't build this overnight. This kind of intuition, this kind of knowledge bank, as I put it, you develop it once you try, practice, fail, learn and deliver. Multiple times you have to iterate as a data scientist, as a data strategist. There are multiple projects that will give you those learnings, which will give you one final blockbuster. So that's important. Yeah, I, I wish it could be done overnight. That would be nice. But it, I agree it cannot. Yeah. So what is responsible AI to you? Okay, that's great. So responsible AI is consisting of many fundamentals that a lot of people talk about. It can it can constitute fairness, explainability, transparency, accountability. There are many things theoretically they are lying everywhere and people know about it, right? So I won't repeat that and explain on them because they are self-understanding. What I'll put in one word is responsible AI is whatever technology you are using. AI is just a technology. Whatever way of that's a means to an end, right? So whichever algorithm you are devising, are you able to keep 
the human or the end user in mind so is it serving the humanity is it for somebody is it for the betterment of them right and in order to do that have you taken in consideration all strata of people so all the end users who are going to consume it do you have a lens to think from the consumer perspective or not so that's something i would say is the is some is the responsible part of it you are responsible and accountable for the solution that goes out in the market and gets consumed by the users where there is no way of discriminating between a strata or the other and all are kind of treated equally and same so that's this one aspect of it there are many definitions out there but i'll say that if it is a technology it has to serve for the betterment it has to give something which is not happening right now maybe make some users life comfortable and more convenient so its purpose should be just restricted to that and no other kind of bias should be embedded into it do you mind diving a little bit deeper into your definition of fair or unbiased or responsible ai because there's the do no harm rule there's the net benefit rule there's the maximized profit rule so how do you think about it yes so this is how when you initiate the project you need to define these things right so what is the end goal and objective of the solution that you are driving so right at the onset is those set of questions like you correctly mentioned right you have to decide the business problem who is the end user of it and what is the objective of it that that mention the statements that you mentioned come under the objective part and when i talk about bias bias is looks like just one technical term for the one person who is coding the algorithm but bias creeps in at every point in your ml project life cycle if i have to say it could be right at the origin of a concept of a business problem that you are trying to solve for example i read somewhere just take an example hypothetical where you are having a credit scoring mechanism for somebody who applies right and you are taking the data of only the folks that are present in your db and maybe a person who is below a certain income stream has not yet made its way into your database so you are totally excluding them while you are modeling it so next time those people who are coming from the lower income strata because they were not seen in the database before on the training side of your algorithm they will never get qualified and this is something which will always be left out unless and this is stemming from the formulation so when i started with it did i have a viewpoint that who can get adversely affected by the predictions that come out of it so that's on the, the you know i can say the structural part of the business problem the problem is structured like that like can i make sure that i should have looked at that perspective the way you collect the data the way you label them if it is a human labeler certain bias always come there and is it about the just the algorithmic side of bias and the way you interpret the output can also be biased right the way you're generating and making sense of insights because insights is what just set of numbers right somebody has to make sense out of them and take action on them so can that also be biased right so so there are multiple checkpoints in this whole pipeline where things can go wrong and it can come as a guideline there there are actually a lot of guidelines being available outside right but it generally comes from top down and uh, then slowly gravitates towards hybrid approach so it employs or i would say the developers who are working on this solution should be sensitized with these concepts first yeah 100% and it's really really difficult so when we're talking about bias we're not talking about the bias variance straight off we're talking about when the data being put into a model is unfair and represents systemic issues in society. Hmm. And so the classic solution or one of the classic solutions is to do nothing and just throw your hands up and say, oh, life is unfair. It sucks to suck. Hmm. Another option is to take out the potentially problematic variables. So if you have race, gender, age, something like that, you just remove them. But it turns out 
and you were sort of hinting at this with the with the credit score, it turns out that a lot of data and other pieces of information actually encompass those variables or actually like sort of leak that variable. So it's really, really challenging uh, from a policy standpoint to think about how you should be changing data and how you should be actually creating the perfect vision of society. Like, should it be unfair to, like, for example, with affirmative action, should it be should it be unfair to certain people so that on the whole society is more fair? Or should it be perfectly fair starting now? So it's a really, really tough problem. And I was just wondering how you were thinking about it as well. Yeah, definitely. In fact, uh, I would say that ethics and responsible AI is still an abstract concept, right? So it's something that doesn't have a more quality uh, definition because if you need to pass it on as a concept how would a developer code it right so it's just still a concept and it depends on the subjectivity of the person who is consuming that concept right and in essence if everybody has been ethical while developing the solution right but then who would there would always be someone or the other who is standing on the opposite side questioning your predictions and make you know doing the pinpointing and all but then how do we have a definition of who can validate the solution who is the first person who is actually the so-called ethicist who can look at your solution and validate and confirm saying that this is you know the kind of certified ethical solution that can that is ready to be shipped to market so that's that's the difficulty i would say is like going from a theoretical concept to trying to embed this as part of your machine learning life cycle. That's the cr- critical part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Words are not the same as code, unfortunately. Absolutely. Maybe one day, but not today. Yeah. So um, going back to organizations, I was wondering if you think a data or an organization could be too data driven. Is uh, that such so, a thing? Yes. So this is, I can say, is the happy path, the North Star. We can say that everybody wants to be data driven, you know, data literacy, data transformation, digital transformation. These are the words we keep on hearing, right? And they look fancy as well. There are a lot of research and reports that say that what is the best thing that we can utilize or exploit today to get the advantage in our business the the competition that we are facing right and everybody would say that you have to be data driven and all the actions that i'm taking are backed up by data but the kind of i would say is the plan that you chart out versus the gap that you see while executing it it's the whole journey has a lot of issues the the first barrier to being a data driven i see is that the the rate of adoption so think of pre-technology era or something and somebody who has kind of making a shift to this data you, you you need to have somebody who can actually endorse those solutions that you're proposing you have a strategic decision and then you have a leadership team executives who sit with you and everybody sign up for some goal or the other right how do you first sign up for a particular goal so that's also backed up by data there are a lot of projects you can take think of the macroeconomic slowdown that we all are going through you're not going to have more resources so within that constraint of limited resources there are so many projects i could pick which one is going to give me maybe more operational efficiency savings that i can do or i can pick up altogether discover a new project that can take me that will make me the first mover to the market right in fact the rank order of these potential projects that you will pick is coming from data you have to do the estimates um, the opportunity sizing you have to estimate what is the size of the opportunity and turn it down into uh, into numbers and then give you know and then pick up the priority projects with the limited resources that you can pass it down to your business units right 
so this 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 can go on and i can talk more about it but being truly data driven it is possible is it already there and is it easy to do that uh, there are a lot of issues re- related to that but have you ever seen organizations that blindly trust data and are too data driven that are too data driven okay i thought you were asking that are truly data driven okay no i have not seen to be very frank so the, there is a first stage where you are actually trusting the data and then you have to pass that stage where you say that i'm blindly trusting the data right so what i have in my experience seen is and this is uh, related to just purely my experience where i've dealt with the leaders and whenever you present them with the results there are going to be a lot of questions and all first is whether we can trust the data itself right is it the whole analysis itself is trustworthy and the data it is coming from is trustworthy how do i understand the quality of data there are going to be a lot of questions lot of iterations while you present your final results which get consumed again this is purely coming from my experience but i have not seen somebody being too data driven in the sense that just because it's looking aesthetically good we'll just take whatever is coming out of it without questioning those nuances that's good to hear so i actually have seen it in a couple of instances it is rare though but sometimes the underlying data are not trustworthy and i think that is something that we really need to be critical about and also extrapolating just like for example just the fact that there is a p value or a correlation or a statistic that indicates that some trend exists versus does not that it, that sometimes needs to be taken with a grain of salt and it's really important to understand what those p values actually mean or what that correlation actually means if the correlation for example is point eight, but there are a bunch of outliers on either end of the of the distribution, well, maybe that's not the best thing. So that's good to hear that you have not seen it. It's probably not very common and people tend to fall into the not data-driven enough category. Yeah, I can say that yeah, I've been maybe blessed enough to not witness that because I've been grilled to the level where the person to whom I'm presenting the results knows in and out of the data. In fact, it has been a long learning point, learning curve for me where there are some questions that when, when, when they are posed to me, I realize that, yeah, I could have asked them first to myself. And now because somebody has asked them, I need to go surface, dig back and come back with an RCA. So like all the cases of outliers and the data quality, whether it's trustworthy or not. So these are the learnings that I've picked from my initial years. And now I make sure that whenever I talk about data, I know a data quality score. That's the mechanism I've devised. There is a particular score I try to attest to, which says that I'm the consumer of this data and I don't know how to how to trust this data unless you again prove the data for this right so that data is the metric of one score that can tie together this thing which could be at an aggregated level if that number doesn't make sense i'll I'll just go dig and you know see what are the corresponding pillars where i need to focus on zoom down and take you to the point where if at all there are data issues then i should be warned of it if i am supposed to still take an action based on this data i know the cost and repercussions of it should i just there is a hard and soft constraint, right? Hard constraint, I'll definitely not take any action on this. The soft is, can I still start serving predictions? Can I still take some action? Because I know that the cost of my action won't be too great, right? So these are kind of thought processes. Everybody has their own way to deal with it. But definitely the leaders that I've worked with, they won't take my yes for a yes. And they'll ask all those questions being coming from those data-driven companies. That's good. How So this is, could be like five podcasts in one. But what 
what are some things that you look for in terms of data quality? Like you mentioned some pillars. Could you could you elaborate? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, in terms of data quality, first it is, I'm talking about a data which is specific to a use case, for example. Let's start with that because I'm a, a advocate of not taking it all at once. Take small data set or maybe a particular use case. And for that use case, maybe the data might be lying at certain different tables. And there are a lot of joins, you know, those uh, computes that you need to perform to make sure that data is in a reasonable shape where I can start generating insects. Now, I look at the data that I have in the end and I'll just tra trace back and see what are the possible things that can go wrong with the data. And it could be in terms of joins, merges, and the data itself at the origin was not correct, which can totally happen when it is coming from, when it's an operational data. So somebody who is inputting the data manually can make what not kind of errors, right? So then I'll keep going back and I'll put a checkpoint saying that for this particular business problem, I, as a data scientist, need, for example, 10 attributes, right? Then for those 10 attributes, I'll just see whether, what is the attribute coverage, right? So over the period of time, has that attribute pattern changed or not? That's again, one of the metric. And is this attribute, for example, is having 90% of the nulls for, for last n number of periods that I've observed and published the report and all of a sudden I start seeing a huge increase in nulls, right? This data is important for my model. This is a critical attribute. I And how would I label a critical attribute? I'll say it's a tier 1, tier 2 and tier 3. So tier 1 is critical for me and without this the algorithm will totally not be able to work as expected, right? So I deep dive into that. So that's when I'm saying keep going back into the data quality issues and then it could be just not related to nulls. It could be related to the, the number of attributes itself one day you are all of a sudden not having the 10th attribute itself because somebody made some change in the db right so attribute coverage null coverage is important finding the outliers is important uh, it could be as simple a rule saying that it's falling out of three sigma does not make sense to me maybe i need to investigate it could be more sophisticated models you can put in place right so these are some of the ways that you can look into the into the data and see hey i was talking about a particular period and the date that is populating here it's coming out of that range so maybe i I'm looking at the data in a wrong manner or something happened in the joins where the data attribute is the critical problem. So you don't have the exact matching happening, right? So finding out those issues specific to your data and designing a framework which says that historically it has been like this, now it is this. And I see that, you know, there, there could be any way to aggregate it. You can give importance to all those pillars as in, give an equal weightage to them and tie them to say that, for example, point eight says that, you know, you can trust this data 80% maybe. And, uh, you know, historically, it has been in a certain range and this attribute value has stopped coming and it has fallen down. Do you want to take this, you still consume this data into your model or you want to stop and want somebody to take an action into investigating it? So so these are some of the ways that I, I generally follow. And um, um, the more closer you become, go to the data, that's where I say that data-centric science is focusing more on data, as much on the data as possible before taking the algorithmic route. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out 
how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you said focusing on the problem as well, because I'm really having subject matter expertise can shortcut things so dramatically. Uh, Like if you know that there should be a roughly linear relationship between X and Y, then you use a linear model and you don't even think about a deep learning model. If you know that these data columns were like produced during the pandemic, well, maybe that data is not super reliable and you need to take take measures to counteract that. Um, so I think you, you hit the nail on the head that it's very subject matter dependent. And point number two, it's really, I hate saying this, but um, it does, ju- it does, like, it takes time to learn how to do this, to do EDA and to develop the instincts on whether your data is like 70% good, 90% good. But I really like that you were trying to codify this into different levels of, hey, are the, is the SQL joins, are they reliable? Is the fundamental underlying data reliable? Um, is the use case reliable? So looking at each of those different categories, I think is is really effective. Uh, absolutely. And you correctly mentioned domain expertise is the key here. So if you have a person who has an eye for these data, that's where you, ex- you, you use their intuition about the data, but you make sure that that's kind of very well validated by the pipelines that you're building. So having a domain uh, knowledge about the use case that you're working on helps a lot in finding out those possible bugs in your data. Yeah, 100%. I was also wondering, so you, we were chatting a little bit before the call about some topics, and one of them was sort of developing tools to uh, generate automated business insights. I was wondering if you could elaborate a bit on what you mean by that and what those tools are actually doing under the hood. Uh, Yeah, definitely. So generally, when we talk about tools, people generally go and specifically talk about those tools and how to use them. I use tools as a word, which is a means to an end where I have an objective to solve. And it could, I would like to generalize it under the umbrella of business intelligence. And with business intelligence follows a thread, which kind of relates to modern intelligence, right? So business intelligence is something you have a data lying there and that data in its raw form might not be usable and you need to do some transformation and kind of need to organize it well in a manner that it is well informed and you can take a decision on this, right? So that's the data part of it, which is where all those tools and technologies that you use to make sure your data is in a consumable shape. So that's how the tools part of it comes into the picture. What I talk about modern intelligence, that's where you want to make sure that all the processes that you're following is the person who is going to use it is able to run it on a hands-free mode. There is no one person on which you have a lot of reliant, right? So those are the advancement in tools that we are seeing when we go from business intelligence, which is a pure play reporting tools or something which would help you identify the what and why of business i can say that something happened some event happened maybe last three months my customer conversion rate was not good in a particular region i I have certain information about those historical data i just want to go and dig deep into that and generate a report about it so i'll use all those tools to analyze into the diagnostic mode i can say now if i am supposed to take an action on it for example today i won't be able to take an action unless First is that the data freshness is not there. For example, I have some concerns. I pass this data back to somebody who did the analysis and the time they take to come back with the fresh results, right? fresh analysis, based on which my next set of actions are due. So, so that's where this kind of bottleneck creeps into the picture in terms of tools and data. Whenever we talk about anything related to data, it's supposedly 
thought of as more geeky thing when somebody can just present you a set of facts and based on those facts you are supposed to take the decisions when i specifically talk about tools i talk i think of tools as a way which is equally accessible by a non technical user somebody who is not so comfortable with data itself but just a click uh, away that person can fetch and pull out those results maybe that is needed to take that particular action you are not too reliant on somebody that can act as a bottleneck to the entire process because speed is something which is actually the differentiator if i don't take that action today versus i end up taking that action one week from now the results that you're going to share with me are already stale so i i don't know how to take action on that so that's where when you want to act on those insights and take action you need to make sure that in a way i can say it's a data democratization you have data accessibility and you have a know how of how the tools work and how you can leverage that data in a timely manner got it yeah taking a bit of a step back sort of earlier in the flow what how do you think about the automated side of the question like we can definitely create a linear model or do whatever causal inference we want but is there a way to sort of get insights while you sleep okay so getting insights is still possible but whether you are acting on it uh, so that's where actionable insights uh, so that's automated insights versus autonomous system that's different right so autonomous system is something worked on that pile of data some insights were generated and you already have a system that consumes those insights and is able to and is allowed to trigger a certain action on top of it that's the autonomous thing where hu- there is no human in the loop so i would say having that autonomous system should still be a a thing which is little far into the future it is already there in multiple places maybe but i would personally i have not yet touched a system which is fully autonomous because once you go down the path from automated so automated insight is fine once you go down the path of autonomous system you need to decide the category and the impact of your actions right so for example maybe you can say that the uh, the cost of the actions taken in on the basis of action in the, on the basis of automated insights is not too high but it's kind of speeding my time uh, you know speeding the cycle with which i can you know push those predictions into the system i'll definitely take that that cost could be in terms of the impact on the end user or the cost could be in terms of the co- uh, the actual monetary cost that you'll end up paying or it, the cost could be in terms of the time delay right time is also a factor it's a factor of cost so you you need to devise a way where i can still assert on certain rules saying that if i am gravitating towards autonomous system that are consuming those insights i need to make sure that only a certain section of those uh, insights are consumed by the autonomous system which is not business critical for example which is which is not critical in those three pillars that i gave you basically and uh, once you have a faith coming from those systems maybe gradually you can you know do it in a phase wise manner then you similarly like i mentioned divided into certain tiers you start from the lowest impacting tier tier 3 and then once you have enough system then you maybe can do a switch over take it to phase 2 and phase 1 but that trust is the word that's critical here how how much are you able to trust whether it's running in an autonomous mode is possible yeah and you touched on something that i i wasn't even thinking about which is actually consuming the insights that like consuming insights in an autonomous or automated way is just really scary in my opinion like it's really amazing how such simple rules can lead to so much complexity like if you think about life the start of life obviously had very complex rules but now we have cities and like computers and all these crazy things 
and they came from very simple initial conditions. So the ability for simple rules to create complexity is just mind-boggling. But what I was also thinking about is, is there a way that we can sort of, sort of like in a passive retraining of a model type of approach, can we create systems that will learn and sort of surface business intelligence insights or ideas? Have you ever seen those in action? Yes. Yeah, so actually, I had worked on one of the projects where it was, I would say, still semi-automated or something, and it should have gone to next phase by the time I had left the firm. But yes, so you can you know, identify the hidden patterns from the data. There are insights. You can dig into the data and generate those rule-based or maybe those rules which are evolving. And, uh, you know, that's where precisely even the machine learning concept comes into the picture, right? But then one thing that you correctly mentioned, Michael, is that uh, why is it scary if somebody takes that takes down that path is that who is accountable for that system, right? So accountability becomes a big picture, right? Who Whoever is going to sign up and say that, okay, I give a go-ahead and, you know, this is a go-life process project for me, then every single person who is touching that project is responsible for what goes out of their system. So, so that's the, I think, crucial part, which everybody needs to be watchful of. Maybe everybody's working in, so so how a typical project works is in an engineering environment is everybody is assigned a task and they are very, for example, if it is Jira, right? Everybody's just Jira focused. So if somebody has given me a task and I need to do that, I don't maybe know how it is going to impact the person who will consume the output of my task, right? So because everybody's focused towards their piece of work, they don't know how the overall picture looks like. So who is going to be accountable for such system is the one who is driving this whole initiative, who is the enabler of it and uh, that definitely doesn't kind of give you enough confidence that I, I know I can nail down to the person saying that something that came out of the system didn't really go well, but the impact is already made by then. So so it's a little circ- circular thing, but uh, it's a little scary to let the system you know run on its own. Yeah, 100%. So zooming out a little bit, I was wondering why throughout your career you focused on building frameworks instead of looking at specific tools or algorithms. Okay, yeah. So specific tools and algorithms is what I've worked on, but at length, I'm not having enough liberty to talk about them because I've worked on a lot of patent-worthy materials. So it's kind of under a process where uh, I don't have enough uh, liberty to talk about them. Framework is something which I'm an advocate of. So that's where I, whenever something comes, I talk about frameworks and best practices, guidelines, collaboration tools, documenting the work as much as possible is something that I keep talking about in multiple forums. And the, these kind of informations are generally not proprietary. So I'm at you know free will to talk about that. But having said that, it's not that I've not worked on the algorithmic side of it. And had I not done that, I would not even have a purview of how to create innovation. That's the part that is coming from my introduction, right? So I had those set of gaps that I identified in the business problem that I was supposed to solve. And there was no such solution that was available for it. So that's where I went ahead, did a lot of research, you know, read a lot of material from those professors and understood certain concepts, which was again a learning curve on its own before being finally able to produce a solution that was patent worthy and generally research is what people not assume will go into production so my algorithm was actually production ready so i have a flair for both the things basically got it what are some frameworks that you 
think are pretty rare, but are incredibly valuable. Okay, so these frameworks are in terms of, so there are multiple ways people talk about framework. When I work on any particular framework, my intention is first is to make sure that there is no repeat task being executed. If I see a certain action or certain pipeline or certain work that my team is doing, which is repeatable. And today, because they have to deliver something, they might think that they don't have time enough to put it in a manner which can be consumable readily, maybe for example, by somebody else. And that's where my piece comes into the picture where it looks like a little bit of, uh, technical debt kind of a thing where it's it's not readily giving you results but in the long run it's going to be uh, you know help you run an efficient system if uh, those kind of frameworks is something which i am generally talking about are you talking about something else no that that's what i'm talking about yeah yeah okay so i, I can talk about one thing where i am for example i'll i'll not go into details of it but for example if i'm working on analyzing a particular entity entity is a you know generalized abstract term i'm using for the work that i actually did and what i see was that after three months of delivering the analysis on a particular entity i have to do it again for entity two for example right these two entities because they're coming from the same ecosystem they have certain shared characteristics the underlying characteristics you can say that this is the horizontal layer that they share right this horizontal layer will keep repeating will keep getting repeated if i'm now next supposed to work on entity three four and five and that's where my part of framework comes in that is there something which is specific to this entity which is some not something i'm going to see across which would be a vertical so which is a attribute specific to entities but in general if i have to give a characteristic can i say that 70 percent of the baseline of work if i make an automation around it or or if I design a framework saying that, okay, a simple framework as such as, you know, leave aside doing something with respect to tools or technology, something which in a simple Excel, I can lay down the point saying that when I picked the analysis of entity one, these are the checklist or the set of steps I followed. And this is how I concluded. Now, if somebody else is supposed to do that, they will make sure that at least whatever is specific to their entity, they might do those steps extra. But they know that something that some, somebody originally did, I'm not missing out on any of those steps. So I have a more comprehensive view. And this list will keep getting maybe more advanced. If you have as many entities as you're supposed to do analysis for, then you'll say that, okay, because somebody else has also worked on a case which was not seen previously before. And this additional insights or maybe this additional understanding of the system that came from the, those analysis should go back into rest of the work that we have done till now. So having a set of checklists in a pure Excel, which is shared across a team is also something that I can say will give you those gains, which you initially won't realize. You'll think that these are something which is a tribal knowledge. I have it in my mind. It's in my knowledge dump. It's a brain dump, which I'm not putting out somewhere because I simply think this is not, this is very trivial. But once you put it out there and you let the other person kind of reap the gains and reward for it, you realize how much time cumulatively it can save for you and the organization. Yeah, checklists are incredibly powerful. They align teams, they ensure that we're all working towards the same thing. And they also, as you just mentioned, they get things that people think are obvious out into the air and into discussions. Oftentimes, it's the, the things that people assume that cause the issues and not the educate. Well, I mean, edge cases are a problem too. But it's often the unspoken things in my experience, because good engineers will find the edge cases. But um, the unspoken assumptions are really dangerous. Absolutely. I can totally agree with that. Yeah. So there are some things because I've developed the system from scratch up. I think this is too obvious for me to put it down because the person who would be taking it forward from me as well should be equipped with this knowledge enough. And that kind of vague assumption is making your understanding getting lost in translation and you know 
passing it on to the entire team and these these kind of documentation can also be a good point for deep technical discussions as well i thought of something i worked on something and i designed a system and i did put it anywhere because the consumer didn't ask me those questions like you correctly mentioned in the beginning of our discussion right if nobody questions you and your uh, insights are just getting passed into the production environment right so you didn't really dig deep into the data so this could totally happen by chance right this is a random event that can happen then if the next person picks up and he's doing it maybe more comprehensively uh, but didn't have a chance to know how you did it and so that a simple thing that the way you are taking a sample of the population versus the other person who is taking a sample maybe you took a random one another person thought maybe the stratified sample makes more sense here. unless that person knows how you originally started with the data or the kind of data that you worked on there won't be that discussion the channel of discussion won't happen it there could there is not a case who is right versus the other right so there is not a objectivity that we are talking about the developer it could it's about these those assumptions with which you put a system out there and now you're letting the entire team know that you know this is what happened somebody can later go back and say that i think that really doesn't you know that assumption that you took about the population doesn't stand true do you think that we need revision or what was the extra knowledge you had at that point of time that you basis on which you took this decision so having those technical discussions also is a good starting point coming out from these frameworks when you lay down yeah and, and one more point on top of that when i was first starting in my career i thought it would be disrespectful almost to over document and explain my thought process because i was like Oh, I'm I'm a newbie. Everybody else should know this. Everybody else is so much smarter than me. And it turns out that regardless of intelligence and knowledge, over over documenting and over explaining is actually really good because people are just different. How you approach problems are different. How you think about the system is different. So if you just give a sentence or two on where you were coming from and where things are, you were intending to take them. It it can save hours and hours of time. I I've gone down so many rabbit holes because someone just didn't tell me what they were doing. It would have would have saved me years of my life. Not actually, but hours of my life. <laughs> yeah, true. Cool. So I also had another high level question. What are some buzzwords that actually matter? Because it seems like you live in the world of buzzwords, but you actually are defining them and putting a face to the name and figuring out what actually is important in those concepts. So the classic example is AI. Well, it can mean Terminator, it can mean linear regression, it can mean machine learning, it can mean 50 other things. So could you pick one or two buzzwords that actually matter and are actually relevant to our future? Okay, so I think, so one buzzword that I'll see, uh, say here is uh, something which is evergreen and which is looking backward, looking forward in future is always going to be the core and crux of it, which is being data first, which is, again, because I, I'm seeing data first, this is every decision that you take. Leave aside straight away going to AI or algorithm, right? Every decision you take, do you have enough understanding of the problem statement? Do you ask questions which are related to data? Do you put data on the table first saying that what is the success criteria of it? How do I measure it? If there is, so, so what is it that I'm looking for? What kind of data requirement is there, right? So asking all questions related to data, being data first is important. Being data driven is I would say coming secondary, asking the right questions related to the business problem in terms of availability of data. How would I want to procure the data if it is not available? So these are the fundamental thing that everybody should be talking about, practicing, and then it should it should go beyond a point where we are just 
preaching it coming from the leadership it should be something like you know uh, walking the talk whatever you are mentioning you need to demonstrate it and and i have a i, I think coming to think of it i have a good example also right so uh, i was just crawling over my linkedin today and there were a lot of people talking about saying that i think uh, work from home is more efficient for me and then you know going to office this back to office programs that the organizations are laying down it's it's too silly a thing and then there's a comment saying that but how do you decide that is there a data that prove that can prove that work from home is more efficient than be you know just going to office have you recorded the number of hours you used to you know travel the kind of breaks you used to take and then versus here the collaboration that it needs so all of it essentially is that you need to be data first so that's the first buzzword and related to ai i would say that not focusing too much on the algorithm again algorithm tools techniques are a means to an end i'll iterate it as many times as possible because that's something that we generally get caught up in these are the fancy things and these these will continue to change that's where my focus is not on technology or algorithm these will continue to evolve today you are talking about maybe in nlp you're talking about bird previously you used to talk about lstm and then tomorrow there might be something else also right so algorithm is again not something that is at the core of my focus again the next buzzword that i have and i think for this decade or so i've heard some of the predictions some of the veterans also talking about is the responsible use of ai so that's and i really wish that it goes beyond the buzzword and it gets to see the light of the day where people are having those kind of ethical lens with which they are designing the solution so first is the data you are working on that's the first buzzword and the second is whatever you are producing or you know whatever is going out of your system right what kind of impact it's going to make so these are the ingestion point and the i would say the output point right so if these are kind of taken care well anything that you you know you you can pipe in any other algorithm you can bring in any other thing and you can think that okay i have big data enough i don't need to look into the data whether the data has enough signal or not i don't really bother about signal versus noise ratio i i have enough power of data and compute and algorithm i i think i have what it takes to be you know ai powered company or so so i really wish that we go beyond that stage and first we need to just make sure what we are putting into the system and whatever is being put out of the system these are the two things that are important for me and uh, i think uh, yeah so these are catching up a lot in these days and i believe it's it's going to continue for some more time got it cool hey folks if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages then you're in luck we're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. I had one more question on a more sort of personal level. So you've been working in industry for over 10 years now, and it seems like you've done lots of speaking engagements and have gotten your name out there. So I was wondering how you thought about creating your sort of personal brand. Have you, is that a concept to you or did it just happen organically? Uh, could you speak about that a little bit? Uh, yes, actually, that's a, that's a very interesting question and a journey I would like to share. Maybe till 2020, 2019, so three years ago, I, I was more of an introvert person who used to go to office, just do my work and get back home. And I really don't bother about you know, what is happening and what is this influencer thing and what does brand even mean? Brand is something that I never concerned, leave aside for myself, but for the organizations that I used to join, it was all about what kind of work is going to be there. But in 2019, a veteran, an AIML veteran, veteran in the organization that I was working for, he chose me to lead this glorifying failure project. So 
this is more like a brown bag session i told about you in the beginning of the project right so whenever so that's where the crux of the problem is and that's where the leadership and the culture that they want to put it into the organization comes into the picture uh, this very senior person he saw that we are building out in the field of ai there is something that we are trying which nobody has tried before and every time we are attempting it we are maybe missing out on something or the other that the, the whole solution is not coming out in the way we expect it to be and on top of it there are geographical uh, distances right so somebody in the india team is experimenting something versus somebody in the other part of the company is doing something and all the data scientists are not maybe talking to each other there is no forum where we come out discussing what we are working on maybe pick brain from the other data scientists get into the collaboration mode not take it personally that hey why did you try that right just go beyond their imposter part and he thought that if we create a channel where these kind of discussions flourish maybe first is those repeat failures won't happen somebody who has tried on something the other person should not be repeating that that's the kind of silos we are living in even today so he wanted to do away with that he wanted to make sure that maybe at the origin of the data or origin of the problem statement we don't have a control but what we have a control is if i make sure that all that people are talking about they are sharing their knowledge bank with each other because we are working on a very specific domain problem right so for that domain we in house data scientists were the only forum we could reach out to each other for in fact it went to the extent where i said that we'll maintain an internal repository where we know all the data scientists this this is mnc this multinational company i'm talking about have all the data scientists there what kind of background they are coming from what are their maybe key strengths or, or you know the in fact weaknesses also some some maybe feel for example computer vision if they have not worked on and some of the projects that they are currently working on if they are a long timer into the company maybe they can tell about the success and failures of the previous projects now this acts as a stepping stone for others who are joining now first they'll pick up fast you learn by examples so you can learn by somebody else's mistake rather than going and doing that repeat all over you know repeating that mistake all over all, all over again so that senior person he wanted a person who could orchestrate those sessions and for some reason he chose me because i was very inquisitive about asking questions because i was struggling with that domain knowledge first and he thought maybe you are the right person who can <laughs> develop that channel where you have the liberty to go and ask any other data scientist in the company that i have this problem i want somebody to put brains here with me and i want to devise a solution that is actually something that we can put in production right i don't just want to do some fancy research there so when he gave me the responsibility i was shying away from it but when i took it out i realized that there was so much to learn in those sessions and forums which kind of took me past my introvert nature and i realized that this is something i started enjoying because first it's improving the way i am interacting and networking within the organization uh, still now also i have not gone beyond my organization i didn't go out in public linkedin was something very you know the last thing for me to attempt and try at going this out go, you know going in conferences was something i had never thought of but when i started realizing that it is accelerating the way i am growing in my career the kind of knowledge that i am taking in from these people it, it's good that i'm doing that but i think now it comes back to me saying that i want to pay it forward so that's where i realize if somebody will approach me i'll definitely go join those sessions whatever i have learned if it is helping somebody you know a single step in maybe moving ahead in their project that they're working on they're stuck if somebody reaches out to me saying that this is a problem statement i'm working on i'll be happy to help so that's where it started that i became little more open i started writing down what i had learned which is where the blog part of it comes right i started writing on towards data science and multiple other forums so when that happened i think then it became more organic then people started considering me as a community person who is more involved into the discussions a part of it is also that you become more free of expressing your opinions because it's 
just coming from experience you have learned from others so you grow, go beyond that imposter that everybody inside us carries right so i realized the more i started speaking i realized everybody is so receptive of what you have to offer that you know it's it's a two way street then afterwards and there is no going back got it so it sounded like it was mainly organic you were just looking to progress in your career and you were given this role and just by chance and doing a good job in that role you started to get more of a of a following essentially yeah and that turned out to be the most i, I can say that was the pivotal point of my career you can say yeah yeah it's it's unfortunate but selling is part of the career you have to you do kind of have to look the part for people to to trust you uh, yes yes definitely and i think a part of it also comes back comes to the point that you need to voice yourself out if you are in given a project no nobody should assume that you have all the skills given in you that you can do it right away which is like uh, you know trying some sh- short term gains or something I, when i work on a certain project i make sure that like those edge cases and everything is covered or not or would it actually yield business impact wh- whether there is a potential for value realization or not that kind of the nature the the inquisitive nature that i had made me look out for those answers i made me question the people who were giving me the work right so you need to voice yourself out rather than just take a you know download session from who is giving you the work and the more you question the more you understand the business problem i think the, the that's the little difference i would say in the data science world is everybody is quickly thinking of data putting it into the algorithm and giving something and developing a baseline which is i would say reasonably good but i think trying to understand the business context is way way more important how do you understand the business problem defines how do you map it to a statistical problem right so you need to know your stakeholders you need to know what you are putting into the system so that's what i was looking for and maybe me asking a lot many questions is something that put me on the spot so voicing yourself out is really important do not take anything for granted that you know it all and you are the smartest person and then you know you can single handedly deliver a project or something it takes a, a whole lot of people around you who are very smart teamwork is really important and asking the business question and where your use case will eventually be put is very important to ask yeah 100% cool so where can people find you if they want to reach out or follow some of your content Okay so I am mostly active on LinkedIn that's still my go to place people might think of me from some other era where I'm not available at any other places but I've recently created a Twitter account which I'm not at all using because uh, that doesn't come naturally to me <laughs> so if you have any technical discussions or something you can you know drop me a note or you know give me a text on LinkedIn that's the only place I'm available right now Got it amazing well we're we're at time but this has been really fun do you have any closing thoughts any final pieces of wisdom for the audience No uh, Michael I think it was pleasure speaking today and the final piece uh, I would say is to understand the larger picture that's the key and while you are attempting to understand the larger picture the the project that has been given to you is coming from business where uh, the end user is going to be the theme he the customer is the king you need to understand the end use case much better you could be working for an internal stakeholder or an external but till you kind of stitch back your data to the end point right then fitting it fitting this journey will become very difficult unless you know the bo- both the end points of your project so just pay more attention to that and other things learning algorithms you'll keep having a lot more coming in and the other ones kind of fading away uh, don't just go by the buzzwords and ai i think last one thing that people ask me a lot i can say that you don't need to be an ai trained person to deliver a project i don't come originally from this background i was not in fact a computer science uh, engineer to start with right so if you have an understanding of the problem statement the domain that you are working for and the data that you are dealing with all the other tools are 
available. It's, the education has been democratized. You have a lot of courses and the, the, for, for learning the software languages also, you have a lot of places where you can visit that. So don't go by the buzzword. Know what it takes to be a data scientist. It is a very iterative job and sometimes very pressing as well. But once you start seeing the returns of what you actually did, right? So I think it's all worthwhile. So having a careful evaluation of your profile and whether you're a match for it or not is very important. Got it. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I just want to thank you again for joining. It has been Michael Burke and Vidi Chug. And until next time, thank you for tuning in. Thanks, everyone. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.